Let's turn in the New Testament to the book of Philemon. Going to rearrange the order of things slightly this evening. And I'd like us to take time to look at this first of all, and then we'll have an opportunity to meet around the Lord's table. And during that time, an opportunity this evening, if anyone wishes to take it, to um, share in prayer together corporately, to read a passage of scripture, um, and take the opportunity in what we do this evening to share with one another. Uh, Philemon, we're looking at this over the Sunday nights in July, and I'd like to read the letter. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, our starkest, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Over these few Sunday evenings, we're working our way through this text just to take an opportunity to look at some of the issues and themes that are developed within it. Apparently, Kirsty Young, news presenter from Channel 5, is going to take over Desert Island Discs in the not-too-distant future. Apparently, it is, believe it or not, 
one of the most coveted radio jobs going. And for those of you nurtured in Radio 1, you probably haven't a clue what I'm talking about. It has been running for years, in fact since 1942, when Roy Plumley, who presented the programme for many, many years, devised it. Sue Lawley is about to hang up her boots, or whatever radio presenters hang up, having been presenting the programme for the last 18 years. I actually would have thought Sue would have been collecting her free bus pass and taking life easy, but it would appear she's moving on to other things. The basic format in Desert Island Discs is that someone, a guest, chooses eight pieces of of music and they're questioned about their lives. And they're allowed, besides a copy of the Bible and the complete works of Shakespeare, three choices to take with them to the Desert Island. One of the records which they've chosen, a book and a luxury. And this recipe, this uh, secret of these three things, has been one of the interesting features of the program all of those years since it was started back in 1942. The three things seem to work well. The Apostle Paul had three things which were dear to his heart and which he spoke and wrote about frequently. I'm sure you can guess what those three things are. Any offers? That little triad that he uses so frequently. Faith, hope, and love. Remember that passage in Corinthians when he talks about faith and hope and love and talks about how the greatest of these is love. And yet that's a little triad, faith, hope, and love, which in some form or another you will meet in so many of Paul's letters or the letters that he and Timothy or he, Timothy, and Silas penned together. And when writing to Philemon, there is a triad here which you may or may not have noticed in the verses that we read. It's amended slightly. But it's still very important. And the three in Philemon are faith, love, and fellowship, which we're going to come to this evening. But before we get on to those three, I want to recap a little bit on the context that we set last week for this. We said four things last week. First of all, we looked at the context in which the letter is written. It's written when Paul is under house arrest. You can read about that in Acts chapter 28, particularly from verses 16 to 31. And it would appear that it was at that time when he was writing other letters and uh, awaiting uh, a trial in Rome and under house arrest there that this letter to Philemon was written. The second thing we thought about was where it is placed in the canon of Scripture, where it appears in the New Testament, and suggested that if you want to get a real flavour of how Philemon works as a letter, you need to put it in behind Colossians. And an ideal way of reading Philemon is to read Colossians and then immediately read Philemon. Because it would seem that it belongs there, not simply in terms of being written around the same time, But because of the huge overlap of characters and personnel between Colossians and Philemon, it belongs to exactly the same context. The basic content of the letter of Philemon is about a slave, Onesimus. And we talked a bit about slaves and what that may or may not have meant in Paul's context. uh, Being returned to his master, to Philemon. And the challenge that that is going to present because he's coming back not simply as a runaway slave or a slave who has failed to fulfill his responsibilities adequately for his master in Rome but he's coming back now as a brother someone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ as a a consequence of his seeking out Paul while in Rome and we thought also about the characters involved 
the context, where the letter belongs in the canon, the basic content of the, of the letter and the characters. Philemon, uh, presumably, possibly his wife, Archippus, Onesimus, Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, all people who are mentioned in this. And as we worked our way down through that list of names, particularly as they appear also in the letter to the Colossians, it would certainly appear that Philemon, if not a member of the Colossian church, was a member or involved in the church in either Laodicea or Hierapolis. So this is all belongs together. This is all part and parcel of the same context. And when you read Colossians and follow through those names and get the background to it together, it seems that Philemon is very much a very practical application of the kind of writing that Paul is uh, making, or the points that Paul is making when he writes to the church in Colossians as a whole. And, therefore, it's worthwhile having a look at Colossians to begin with. So you might like to turn to Colossians chapter 1. And let's meet, first of all, the normal triad of faith, hope, and love that the Apostle Paul so often refers to in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 reads as follows. Page 1182. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, again jointly written by these two men. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. This little triad of faith, love and hope appears here at the beginning of the letter to the Colossians, a very traditional arrangement. The terminology is very straightforward. It's a reference to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a reference to the love for the saints and a reference to the hope of glory. And for the Apostle Paul, the concept of faith Uh, is not simply something passive and historic, something that happened in the past. Faith is something active. It's an active believing, an active ongoing thing. We often think of the phrase faith in Christ as a reference to a historical moment in the life of an individual when they became a Christian or at their conversion. But for Paul, faith in Christ is something dynamic. It's about a relationship and the nurturing of a whole new identity in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's faith that shapes our understanding of who we are in relation to God, Paul says. It's not ritual and tradition. It's faith which is the basis on which we grow in confidence as we learn to trust in the God who has fulfilled his promises to us in Christ and revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Paul talks about what is achieved through faith. And here he talks about, in Colossians, the outworking of faith in Christ. So it's clear that the faith in Christ to which he refers is not merely a personal issue about a conversion experience that took place in someone's life in the past. It's about a dynamic ongoing relationship and following of Jesus Christ, which is also not just individual, but corporate, because he's writing to the whole church. And he talks about the outworking of their faith as a community of believers. And therefore he follows on to the theme of love. And love is also a very corporate thing in Paul's thinking. Love's not just about an emotional response to God. Those will see Paul's up for talking about emotional responses. Love is a transforming thing. It's a dynamic thing like faith. Love, as Paul refers to it and uses it, is the idea of the love of the cross is one of the ways in which you can think about it. Love is about giving. 
It's about self-giving. And again, it's clear in his introduction and greetings to the church in Colossae that love is worked out in relationships. So both faith and love are set in the context of the life of the church together in Colossae. And it's in this context that Paul speaks about hope. The hope that is shared by all the saints through their faith in Jesus Christ. So right at the outset of the letter to the Colossians, Paul uses this popular, uh, well-known triad of, which we find in many of his writings, faith, hope, and love. And it sets the context for how he thinks about the church and how the church should think about themselves. When you go over to Philemon and we look at the triad that appears in Philemon, there are a number of things for us to note. And here in Philemon, as I said, the reference is to faith, love, and fellowship. And a number of things I want us to think about briefly. First of all, that this reference here to Philemon is interesting because it's not this time to the community as a whole, but to an individual. So here we see it worked out in the life of an individual. Secondly, that the triad is altered here for a reason. Faith, love and fellowship. And we're going to see something of that. And thirdly, that this triad of faith, love and fellowship is a very necessary basis for the management of change in the heart and life of any individual. So those are the three things I want us to think about as we look at this triad in Philemon. So first of all, most of the references um, that we tend to personalize in our readings of the New Testament are in fact tended for the whole of the church. Whereas in this case, the reference is actually to an individual. I don't know whether you're guilty of doing that as well. I do it so frequently. You read Paul's letters Paul talks to you, and the you is, of course, plural. It's to use, as we would say in Belfast, but we read it as something purely personal. Our Western individualistic reading of the text means that the Bible becomes for us almost a personal how-to-live-with-God manual, as opposed to something for the whole of the church. It doesn't do us as individuals a great deal of harm in one sense, but it does mean that sometimes we miss the significance of the gift and necessity of community, as the full expression of God's kingdom on earth and God's purposes for you and for me in the life of the church. So it is all the more interesting when we meet a clear reference to an individual, whether it's Timothy, Titus, or in this case, Philemon. Because here we see authentically, properly worked out in the life of an individual who belongs to one of these churches, the very virtues and qualities reflected in the community as a whole, about which Paul often speaks and writes. And what's interesting is that what is spoken of in regard to the church as a whole, if you refer back to Colossians 1, verses 4, 5, and 6, is also referred to in the life of Philemon himself. Paul says exactly the same thing about Philemon as he says about the church. He talks about his faith in Christ and love for the saints. And in this short reference... We see the challenge of being committed to being in my own life what we strive to be as a community, the church. And I think there is a challenge here. Because it's very easy for all of us to piggyback on others. We do it in school. Well, some of us did it in school. We managed to get through and we managed to get through the odd essay and maybe even the odd exam on the back of someone sitting close to us. I know that's probably not true of most of you. We sometimes do it in work. Other people are the basis on which 
we manage to get through because they're pulling more than their fair share of the weight. We can do it in professional life. We can do it in family life. It's possible to live in the reflected glory or reputation of others without doing very much to enhance that reputation ourselves or in fact maybe even being unworthy of it. The thing that strikes me about Philemon is that he was the real thing. What Paul commends, gives thanks to God for, about the churches as a whole and Colossae as a whole, he can give thanks to God for in regard to this individual. This individual is the real thing. And being the real thing, he is contributing to the overall witness of the community and the church. In other words, Philemon wasn't a spiritual parasite. It is possible to be one. I've been very challenged recently about whether I live off the prayers of other people as opposed to praying. You see, that would make me a spiritual parasite. And the same is true in so many different ways. So the challenge that strikes me in this very simple reference to Philemon here is, are you and I the real thing? Are we contributing to the health and the life of the church or do we simply live off it? Are we as Christians, Christians in practice? Or are we accepted by other people as Christians because of our association with this church or some other church? What would Paul be saying of us? if he was writing to us, if he knew us well. Would it be, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Would that be true of us in the same way in which it may be true of the church in general? There's a real challenge here. And Paul is able to direct this to Philemon in exactly the same way as he directs these remarks to the church as a whole. The second thing that strikes me here is that this triad is altered from faith, hope and love to faith, love and fellowship. I have to confess, when I first read verse 6 in the New International Version as we have read it here this evening, I started just to think about this is very interesting because this could be a very interesting sermon on the importance of sharing your faith with other people. This could be a good uh, sermon on using Philemon as an illustration of personal evangelism. Because this is the very phrase we use but as evangelicals in the context of sharing your faith with other people. We talk about sharing your faith. The plans for a sermon based on Philemon as a model of personal evangelism quickly went out the window. Because although that's what the NIV translates it as, and that's the kind of way we use the phrase, it's not actually what it means. The term that is used here is a term uh, called koinonia, which does mean sharing But it doesn't mean sharing in terms of personal evangelism as we tend to think about it. That's not the main thrust of the phrase. It should possibly read something like this. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in us for Christ's sake. That's the way the New American Standard translates it. And the key idea here is fellowship and sharing in the context of fellowship. So Paul's interest here as he writes, speaking about faith, love and fellowship, is in how Philemon's faith will work out in the community and his relationships with Onesimus. 
Apparently this word koinonia isn't easy to tie down in terms of meaning. But essentially, as one person put it, Paul is praying that Philemon's personal faith in Christ would be worked out in appreciation of the important roles that other believers, including Onesimus, have in his spiritual formation in Christ. Paul's petition is that Philemon's faith will produce fellowship which will enable the kind of understanding that matures him spiritually. So Paul is writing to Philemon. He's commending him for his faith and his love. And he's praying that the fellowship of his faith will enable him to deepen in his understanding of all the things that Christ has for him so that he can cope with the challenges that are lying ahead. And that's why the triad is slightly different here. The issue is not hope and the hope of glory. The issue is how faith and love will work out in the context of fellowship when an individual is facing a particular challenge. Which is what takes me to the third part of this. That this triad of faith, love and fellowship is the necessary basis for managing and coping with change in the heart and life of any individual within the life of the church. As I say, Paul is not commending Philemon for his evangelistic efforts. Paul is praying that the fellowship that Philemon shares with others in the context of his faith in Christ will lead him to a fuller understanding of every good thing that God has given to us in Christ. The challenge is to recognize that we can only be the real thing and continue to be the real thing in the context of fellowship. That's how God plans it. That's how it works. You and I will never mine the depths of the grace of God with our heads stuck in a book. Doesn't matter how good it is. We will mine the depths of the grace of God to us in Christ in the context of fellowship. Or we won't mine it at all. We address the difficult issues about life in the context of fellowship. Because in fellowship, we discover the fullness of God's grace and purposes for us. It's true of Paul. And it's going to be true of Philemon in quite a challenging situation. Because what are the issues that Philemon's going to face? Well, he's going to face the challenge of forgiveness. It's never easy in any particular context. But Paul does not expect that Philemon will find those resources purely from within himself, even though he can commend him for his faith and his love. It's in the context of the fellowship of his faith that he will understand all that Christ has for him. Philemon may face issues of authority. It may be that Philemon is a leader in one of these churches. And this could present great challenges to him. How does he maintain his authority if he is the leader in the context of someone being sent back to him who seems to have run away or have failed in some way? He's going to face the challenge of coping with a whole new set of relationships. A new arrangement is going to exist where this person is now going to be a brother, not simply a slave or an employee or whatever it is. Challenges that the church may not yet have really had to deal with. The truth is that Philemon is only going to learn how to deal with these things in the context of fellowship. He's only going to learn them in practice. And he's only going to cope with them in the context of fellowship with others. So as we look at these opening verses of the letter to Philemon and Paul's 
greeting and thanksgiving. I thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus, that ongoing act of following which shapes and molds the Christian, and your love for all the saints, that dynamic activity of self-giving and caring. I pray that your, fel- that your fellowship in the faith, which is possibly a better way to translate it, will lead him to a full understanding of every good thing he has in Christ, because he's going to need it for the challenge that lies ahead. But a concluding comment on verse 7. Verse 7 follows on from verse 6, not simply physically because it's there, but in meaning. There should be a little word for there, the end of verse 6 and into verse 7. It should read something like, We'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ, for your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And you get the sense of how Paul is building this sense of expectation and dialogue with Philemon on this matter. The idea is that Philemon has demonstrated much, and Paul hopes that on the basis of that record and experience and his fellowship in the faith, he will be able to cope with what's coming in the letter and go on to be able to cope with what's going to be standing in front of him in the form of Onesimus. And I said at the beginning that Paul's not afraid of emotion and speaking about it. And the language that he uses here apparently is the strong language of compassion. Philemon has apparently refreshed the entrails, the bowels or the guts of the saints. We translate it as heart because in our context, heart is the seat of the emotions in our way of thinking about things. But it was not always so. And in Greek psychology, the guts were the seat of emotion or compassion, which is why the King James Version will often translate it as bowels. And it would appear that Philemon is known for his active love and compassion and has refreshed the saints in a very compassionate and meaningful way. He has moved people in a very real sense. And Paul knows he's going to need to find more of this. This compassion, this love. The truth is, we all need to find more of it. We always do. We've never finished. However much you may have loved in the name of Christ, however much you may have walked the Christian path following Jesus Christ, you're never finished. I don't see that as a chore, it's an adventure. It's a challenge. But we've never finished in needing more. Deeper understanding. More support in Christian fellowship. And more of the grace of God. And knowing what God has for us in Jesus Christ. To cope with all that lies ahead for us. But fortunately, God hasn't finished with us. And has more to give us. So as we think about Philemon and just those opening verses... Reflect on that triad and how and why it has changed to faith, love and fellowship. Let's pick up the challenge to be the real thing as Philemon clearly was in the way in which Paul can refer to him. But let's accept the challenge that that fellowship which we need so much with other Christians is the very thing that we need to shape to be the, the means by shaping us into what Christ wants us to be for the future and for dealing with every challenge that arises. Paul understands it. He emphasizes it to Philemon. And it's something for us to take as a challenge this evening.